everybody, and welcome to Night School, the podcast where I bring on experts in the fields of science, history, and all corners of academia to dissect the genre films we love, to uncover what the movies got right, what they got wrong, and where the truth is sometimes stranger than fiction. I am your host, Graham Skipper. I am a horror filmmaker and actor, but most importantly, I am a horror fan, and I'm also uh, a big old nerd uh, when it comes to having anything to do with um, science, history, uh, anything regarding academics, uh, and that is why I want to bring on people way smarter than me to talk about the movies that I love. So today we are here uh, with my good friend from, God, many, many years, uh, my entire life, uh, and uh, she is also a relationship counselor and a trust recovery specialist, uh, my good pal Morgan Johnson, a.k.a. Mojo. Hey, Morgan. Welcome. Hey, Graham. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for being here. Um, yeah, today uh, we're going to be talking about the movie Antichrist uh, by Lars von Trier. And I wanted you to come on because, well, this is a movie about sex and relationships and horrible things uh, and, and psychotherapy and all of that. And I wanted to get your perspective on it. I'm so glad. Um, I think it's also just the perfect movie for me to be on to talk about because I'm a trust recovery specialist. So when I think about kind of what the film is about, besides a lot of things, I think it's really a film about betrayal. And I think whenever we look at a lot of films that have kind of the like satanic or the occult in it, you'll often see those, those dark themes of betrayal kind of laced within. So when I watch the film, I kind of see it as a horror fan, but I also see it as a, a couple therapist. Um, and I'm I'm not of the psychodynamic background like a lot of therapists. Like in New, York. like the, if you watch the film, I think the folks who who wrote it and you know informed it were of that psychodynamic or psychoanalytic school, more Freudian kind of in background or Jungian. So I'm trained in um, interpersonal neurobiology and attachment science. So I'm looking at it more from the perspective of bonding or the couple's relationship, which man, if this couple came into my office, woo, that would be a wild ride. Well, and, and I mean, I, you know, I don't know, in my opinion, they, they probably should have come into your office. Oh, uh, yeah. It, yeah. It, it seems it seems like they, I don't know, and, and this is something that uh, I wanted to ask you, but, you know, part of the sort of central element of this movie is that Willem Dafoe's character and, and in the movie they're just sort of man and woman they're they're not they don't have names um but Dafoe's character is a a psychiatrist psychologist mm-hmm. um, some sort of therapist I bet he's a psychiatrist so he's a psychodynamic like yeah. Freudian psychiatrist probably I don't know if he prescribes medication or not if he does he'd be a psychiatrist if not he'd just be a therapist okay all right right good to know good to know so so he the, the thing about him, though, is that when this tragedy happens, and of course, you know, the central, like, moment of, of this movie that, that happens at the beginning is that um, the the couple is having sex, very passionate sex, um, and then their child crawls out of a window while they're distracted having sex and dies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and him being a therapist, he then tries to help his wife through her grief uh, which is chapter one of this movie, mm-hmm. um, by by sort of treating her himself. So I guess I want to start with, is that like no no number one? <laughs> like, <laughs> like well no no number one is don't fuck your clients, but no no number two <laughs> okay. is if you're fucking someone they shouldn't be your client that you just should not like work with family friends anyone like the reason that we're helpful as therapists is that we have a vantage point from the outside. I'm I'm able to support because I can see things that you can't see. If I'm in it with you, that takes away my superpowers. So mm-hmm. he is just embodying hubris and just full of himselfness, as we'd say down here, um, to the nth degree and thinking that, you know, he can, can do this. I also see it as a coping strategy, like just as a therapist, mm-hmm. that when he's feeling so powerless and out of control, 
you know, instead of doing what would be healthy, which would be getting them into a couple of therapists, making sure each of them have an individual therapist that's released to that couple's therapy. Is he is just like, well, I'm just going to take us into the woods and do some exposure therapy casually with you and violate a bunch of my like ethical promises that I made as a medical professional. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like a, a, a power move. You know, it yeah. seems like he's he's uh, trying to somehow regain some control over his relationship and over his life by yeah. now he's in control as a therapist. It reminds me of a, a political figure who once said, I alone can fix this. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> it's just hubris and, and ego fully dialed up. So... Now the the what's interesting to me is when I look at this couple like from the beginning right the very opening like montage it's a thousand frames a second it's very passionate it's black and white um and they're fucking hard yeah it's highly erotic like very very erotic and you know these are a couple with you know a 2-year-old child um so you would think that this is kind of a healthy couple yeah um you know that that they're that they're they're you know still intimate with each other that they are um you know so intimate that they can be distracted to the point that they are um so it's interesting to me and i wanted to ask your opinion about this about how how can a couple like that that obviously has um such such strength and intimacy um fall so hard you know after this kind of a tragedy yeah well we're we're making assumptions that that there's a strong intimacy or emotional attunement based on the you know sex that was depicted and that isn't always the safest sort of window sue johnson who um created emotionally focused couple therapy the model that i'm trained in that i use with relationships describes kind of three kinds of sex just this is from like an attachment science sort of framework So synchrony sex would be the sort of healthy, securely bonded sex where we're able to tune into our own pleasure, have a little bit of that healthy sexual ruthlessness, and be erotic and sensual, and also tune into our partner and co-create this sort of pleasurable experience. And um, there's other two types that would be sort of like associated with what we call like the insecure attachment styles. I don't like that language. I would just say adaptive. So one would be associated with like the anxiously attached style, or I would say like specialized for overstimulation. And that looks a little bit what she calls solace sex. It looks very snuggly, very not passionate, opposite of what you see in that first scene. It's it's seeking sex as a proof of love. There, the second kind is more associated with avoidant attachment or where there's not actually a, a closeness emotionally. Sex is more about like aesthetics, frequency, high eroticism, the like, you know, aesthetically sexiness of it, if that makes sense. So when I see that scene, sure, that could be an expression of a healthy romantic relationship or long term committed partnership, you know, but. As you see the film unfurling, there's lots of evidence that kind of starts to emerge that, ooh, maybe this isn't actually, you know, we're seeing intimacy express something healthy. We might be seeing it as, like, two people sort of, like, reaching for each other in a really unhealthy way. Interesting. So, so you know, because for me, as a, a layman, you know, I, I look at this and I see uh, these two people, you know, going at it and, and, and sort of the... I don't know, the, the common conception is that if you're married and you have children, like, you're not you're not sexually active in the way mm-hmm. that you once were. Um, but you're saying that that what's interesting is because they, they're going so hard that, that maybe it's actually a sign that there was something already kind of broken yeah. in their relationship. Well, plus we don't know that, like, this is... This could be them having sex once after, like, eight months of a dry spell and one of them was just basically crying in desperation and that led to this moment. We don't know that this is, like, an expression of, like, a healthy, mutual, attuned, close emotional relationship where there's... I mean, I think as soon as you start to see, especially, like, after the death of Nick, their child, their sexual experiences, it does not look like a relationship that has, like embodied like enthusiastic consent or really had deep talks about like the kinds of pleasure or 
or stimulation that they're hoping to experience. It looks a lot like what we'll have couples kind of present where one person is like wanting to explore kink consensually and the other person is kind of like unsure like when you see him sort of like not wanting to engage in like more like BDSM type activities with her and her pushing for it and him kind of giving in you see really not healthy like model of like enthusiasm I don't see enthusiastic consent there I see him being like oh shit if I don't give in to this like thing she's not going to complete her stress response cycle and she's gonna I don't know stab me with some scissors or (laughs) you know something random like that it's got high levels of coercion in it so I I can see how maybe when you first see it and that was my experience too like oh wow look like even if this kid sees what a healthy experience and then you start seeing him go to you realize you know open window and all of those pieces like what's actually happening yeah it's uh yeah, that's that's really interesting, you know, and and of course, then we get into, uh, you know, chapter one, grief, which is um, in the immediate, you know, the the following immediately the the death of their child. Yeah. Um, what I find interesting is you see Willem Dafoe, and he's crying. You know, yeah, I was thinking really of that scene at the funeral. At the funeral, and and Charlotte Gainsborough Sh- is shock, like nothing. Uh-huh. Um, and and it's interesting to me the idea of. Of, I'm trying to figure out the right way to say this, but of somebody being so, um, so grief stricken that they can't even process the emotion, versus somebody who, like Willem Dafoe, uh, can yeah. process the emotion in in a very uh, dynamic way, um, and 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 kind of how, how I don't know what what's your read on that, and and how does that kind of propel us into the in, into the rest of the film where where he's trying to get her to come to grips with her emotion and she's like unable to. Yeah, I think it's super, super, it's almost like in courtroom dramas where you're sort of trying to determine what is someone's lack of emotional expression rooted in like them dissociating or sort of like clicking out of their bodies, like not really being, or like the porch lights turned off. Or is it because there's like kind of something more insidious and there's like a gladness to you know, the fact that, like, life has been lost, you know, and I don't know, like, I think the, the scenes that sort of hint that she's, she's, she was aware that the child was climbing up and, and, and could have, like, done something to sort of stop it, I found myself sort of really, like, questioning when I was watching the funeral scene and seeing his just outward pouring of grief, which a lot of people will, like, you know, see and experience as more like organic or natural when it can be completely organic or natural to be like in a shock state and just not in your body. But with her, I found myself wondering like, is this like more of a shock state dissociation thing? Or is this like, holy fucking shit, part of me did not want motherhood, did not want baby, part of me didn't stop that. Yeah, well, and and I mean to also kind of jump around here, like when we find out that she's been at the cabin with him and has been putting the shoes on the wrong feet, you know that 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 sort of underlying idea of 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 not wanting to be a mom, and yeah. and, uh, and 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 I assume you know it's not explicitly stated, but I assume you know her kind of guilt over over not just the idea of not wanting to be a mom, but also. Um, also, her being, uh, uh, you know, she, she knows that she saw this about to happen and she did nothing because she was so, she was wanting the orgasm. Yeah, you she know? was prioritizing she, pleasure, which, oh my gosh, in a Western culture, for a woman to do that, you might as well murder everyone in your village. It's the same thing. So that's interesting <laughs> that you bring that up. So yeah, talk a little bit more about that, about the the idea of of prioritizing pleasure and how... Because what I want to get around to is this title of Antichrist and yeah. how I it seems to be referring to her. Um, but also, you know, did she do anything wrong? What is right and wrong? You know, that I want to kind of get around to that. So let's talk a little bit about, about her prioritizing pleasure and whether or not that's good or bad. That's so interesting you say that because I found myself thinking about the Scarlet Letter while I was watching this film or just that there's just like a spookiness that was just kind of in my body the whole time in kind of 
watching this woman, you know, embody some of these sort of like tropes of, you know, the mad woman in the attic. Like if he didn't have a cabin to take her out into, he would have just like locked her up, you know, in the attic, like in (laughs) infinite novels we have, you know, from literature to think about. Um, But when I think about that moment in particular, that sort of right before Nick falls out the window, that that sort of choice that she's faced with, like prioritize, like or like lean into like this moment of pleasure, and then looking at the way that he then subsequently after the death of his son, like starts avoiding any, or he tells himself that he's doing this therapeutically for her, but starts to avoid anything related to like pleasure. Like he is only has sex with her when she like coerces him violently kind of like into it. Because I think for him, he was like pleasure equals death. That's that thing. And when I think about even like, and so I should name that I'm not just a relationship counselor, but I had like a, a Catholic theology in my upbringing. So when I think about like even just that it's called Eden or this kind of like casting out because of seeing pleasure, turning towards pleasure. I can't help but think about like the gender roles like inherent like in this story. Like, yeah, I think you could very easily, you know, flip it and be like, nah, a lot of this like antichrist behavior is like, you know, maybe like coming out in her, being embodied in her, but it's not rooted in her, it's rooted in him. And I think he even questions that when he's drawing the triangle trying to figure out what the hierarchy is. And he's like, is it nature? Is it Satan? Is it evil? Is it me? Like, what is this thing? And so I think it's just that, like, human nature, pleasure, that thing that, like, if you believe in spirituality, that you were, like, put on earth with the capability to experience this thing as somehow, like, being sinful. Like, I think there's so much to unpack when we look at the psychology and theology laced in there. Sure, yeah. I mean, well, and I think that, the, the idea of just being sinful and, you know, he, I mean, he puts his hand out the window and, and it gets consumed in ticks. Yeah. You know? Like, like he, I, I, I think you're right. I think that there is some degree of him, um, experiencing his own guilt, but then he keeps, I don't know, in my mind, he keeps trying to then rationalize it away. And by rationalizing it, he puts it on her. Yeah. He says, this is her problem and I'm going to fix it. Yeah. Um, And what does she lose when she accepts pleasure? Motherhood. We can't like in one body, you can't accept pleasure, be like, you know, erotic, sensual as the being or be, you have to choose. And so I feel like that's also kind of like a commentary on, yeah, you know, there, there's a choice made and do we, we, yeah, in our society, we judge her for it because we, aren't into killing babies. We don't like that. Right. But I think it forces you to at least look at that question in a really interesting way. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, well, and, and also, you know, when you look at her in, in her time that she spent alone with Nick in the cabin, um, clearly tapping into something in her that, that she's afraid of. Yeah. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm sort of curious your thoughts about her being a, a, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I guess her her being um, this this uh, vessel of of what she thinks is evil. F- for me, it feels like she has known for some time that she wants to either not be a mom, or that she regrets something, or that um, there's something evil about her innately. Maybe it's not even like necessarily related to motherhood. Um, but, but there's something about her that she, you know, and she's talking about all this witchcraft stuff and like everything Mm -hmm. that she's written about. And there's a whole other element of witchcraft. Yeah, the genocide stuff. Yeah, Yeah. all that stuff. Um, but, but I, I just, I guess I wonder about your take on, through her time when she was working on her thesis, um, is is she trying to ask for help? You know, Mm. is she, um, is, is Willem Dafoe's character, uh, not present? For her, how does all this, like, come about? Yeah, when I heard her talk about, because I think they had a sort of misunderstanding about what her reasons were, why she went out to the cabin just with Nick by herself. When I think about just all the couples that I've worked with, uh, I don't want to be assumptive, but it sounds like she was, like, really, like, potentially, maybe she just really did need some space, that's valid, but she might have also been asking what we call an are you there for me question. So are you there for me stands for A-R-E, are you accessible? Like, are you around me? 
Are you responsive? If I need you and reach out, will you respond to me? And will you be emotionally engaged with me? And that's basically like, do we have a secure bond? Can I trust you? And so I see a lot of folks, especially in cultures where we haven't been like raised with lots of like training on emotional intelligence or how to just directly communicate about our needs. That could have been a conversation that sounded like, you know, I'll just go without you. Fine. Your work is more important. Stay in the city. You know, whatever that was. I, I'm making assumptions based on like the kind of cis hetero couples that work with me. But when she was talking about it and kind of like trying to highlight to him, like, no, I needed this space. I need it. I can hear like the sort of uh, uh, dialectic kind of internal challenging struggle polarized parts thing that comes up for mothers all the time, especially like in Western culture of how do I do both have space for autonomy, individuality, pursuing my career and do this motherhood thing that I have a lot of mixed feelings about. You know, a lot of moms have an experience of like, where's the fucking return department? But our culture like shames that and mothers are like supposed to be like this like earth mothery, hyper toxically positive, enjoying every moment of this thing. So I also when I was kind of watching those scenes of her in the summer, I was thinking of like Sylvia Plath or, you know, folks who are like, I just need space to do my fucking art. But my husband's art is more important, especially because it's like a cold science. It's like very important white coat shit, you know? I wonder about those kinds of themes when I was thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, I that makes a lot of sense. And I think that it's interesting, too, to to think about the idea of, of the husband's art because I also wonder a little bit about the child being part of that art. Like, you know, this is his thing, you mm-hmm. know? And and I I mean, I don't know. You know, you're you're the expert, but I feel like Oh, I wouldn't call myself an expert. I would say a specialist. <laughs> yeah, you're a specialist. You're the, you're the specialist. But but I, I feel like it's it's just really interesting to me that, you know, here we have this couple and they have you know, she's clearly uh, you know, re- regretting something, whether it's it's being with her husband, whether it's having a child, whether it's all those things, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and she goes off on her own for a while and she delves into, in, into witchcraft. Um, and, and obviously like when, when we look at, at, I, I don't know, our, our sort of social, um, dialogue, and I don't, I don't know what the word is, but when we look at, when we talk about witchcraft, we think of women. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and we especially think of evil women, and we think of women not doing what they're supposed to be mm-hmm. doing. Yeah, they're going out and isolating themselves away from everybody, like freaks and practicing things we don't understand and can't see. Yeah, and and so when I think of, of that aspect of this, uh, it's it's just it's sort of interesting to think about how, how Charlotte Gainsborough's character is kind of constantly you know demonized and made made the villain in this thing and she's the one that was dabbling in witchcraft and maybe she's the one causing the acorns to fall and yeah. the, the acorns are turning into you know bugs and whatever um when when really it seems like at the heart of this it's it's that the, the relationship is sour yeah um i don't know what what's what's your kind of opinion about 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 that and about the witchcraft stuff. And... Well, that's like a perfect explanation for like how couples usually show up in their first session with me. This person changed them. There's something wrong with them. Not, hey, we need to work together on getting this relationship working. It's mm. a sort of like a blaming thing. And so when I was watching the film, just as a relationship counselor, I was seeing almost like a third character that's an emergence of the two, which is the relationship, which I know sounds like really hippy-dippy, but that is how I see clients. I define the client as the relationship between the people in it. And so I think absolutely the relationship was probably already disconnected and, and sour. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely feels that way. And, and I think that... um. I don't know. It, it, it keep coming back to this idea of the title Antichrist, mm-hmm. and who you know who is Hunter talking about? And, and and at the end, we we see you know the the epilogue of mm. of you know Willem Dafoe standing there with all these women sort of coming faceless women coming after him, and 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 a lot has been said about Von Trier's misogyny and about mm-hmm. about how he you know he when he went 
through the process of making this movie. It was, uh, I think, the process of like a divorce, yeah, and, and all that. Um, but I'm, I'm just sort of curious about. About about how you know how how do we try to unpack that title you know and and mm. and who is he talking about and 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 you know the the idea of, of an antichrist is inherently sort of evil and bad and we're supposed mm. to dislike them yeah um, it like brings about something yeah. is that Nick can we just be like yo Nick antichrist Nick's the antichrist Nick's the antichrist as I soon think as really he as soon as he is like you know gone which. Usually in Antichrist films, we either have like a baby like coming or dying or something. There's a There's someone in that liminal portal sort of space. Let's just call it Nick the Antichrist. That's really interesting. And then all of the evil that unfurls is like related between the relationship. Wow, that's really is interesting. Is that a cop out answer? No, not at all. No, it's I've actually never even you know thought about that before. But I feel like there's something really there. I mean, you have. If you consider Nick the Antichrist, you know when well, they the, made him. They, they right, they made him, and now he's dead, and he's his death and his really his conception. I mean, because mm-hmm. the, the fact that he's there at all, and is, he's still with, he's still he's not gone. She still hears that, like she's still hallucinating his right. cries. So he's like still there in yeah. a creepy, well, almost well, demonic way. Well, and he's still there in 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 that way, but also I mean just. In, in general, like he's he's absolutely very present, mm-hmm. um, you know, because he's he's the the it, it it's his death that causes the whole film. I, yeah, it's really interesting that you would consider him the Antichrist. <laughs> Do, is that telling something about me? Do I just hate children? <laughs> no, 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 I no, no. I mean, but but I I love it because I I feel like you know what we're supposed to sort of think when we see a title like Antichrist and we who watch is this it? movie. Yeah. Who is it? Who Who's is it? Which the, one? Yeah. And what caught what caused this and, and everything. And then when when Nick dies, you know, we're immediately our our immediate thought is, oh, this poor child, you know, not his fault, he's dead. Mm-hmm. But in the context of the movie, what you're saying now makes me think in 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 a filmic language, oh wow, his his dying, he's it's his fault. It's his fault. And then you have this 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 collapse of this relationship that's really tragic and mm-hmm. and it all sort of culminates around that. I, I feel like I should like confess that I also in high school wrote a paper where I like traced all of the murders in Romeo and Juliet back to Juliet. So just to name this like sexist thing, I'm so not saying. No, I mean, no, I mean, pl- pl- please expound on that. I uh, I love that. I yeah, it's just it's uh, it's all really interesting to me because I feel like this movie is it's so thick as as all of our tears movies are. Um, mm-hmm. It's just so it's so thick and layered and. Um, Wax itself off a little bit. A little bit? With blood. With blood, yeah. <laughs> well, so let's get into, like, the, the end of the movie where, you know, we're, we're we're watching these two that have obviously now come to this horrible conclusion and things have gone very, very badly. We've um, gone all the way down into the pits of hell at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I, guess, I guess my first question is, Willem Dafoe trying to continue to treat her Mm-hmm. I mean, where where did he go wrong? And and starting in the first place, trying to treat her. Yeah. Oh, but like, what particularly was like super fucked up about? Yeah. Actually, I made while I was watching, I made a list of like ethical violations that I noticed Please. him. Cause, yes, because of course I did that. I said one of them obviously was like doing therapy at all on your partner. Um, one was doing hypnosis in public. You could like not maintain confidentiality obviously if you were doing like hypnosis on a train like that is ridiculous um he was doing exposure therapy non-consensually so um that that exposure therapy is kind of like a more old school way of doing things it's cognitive behavioral that would just be like if you have a phobia say you're afraid of spiders and you like have a job where you have to be around them we have to like desensitize that we slowly start bringing you 
into close proximity in a safe way. So if you think about that movie, What About Bob and his elevator, we baby step toward the thing. Right, right. That's a bit like the CBT kind of approach can be super helpful for some clients. But we found that like that kind of exposure style without first building like a safe, calm place. So you did see that he had done some of that with her, which... Again, you should not do this with your partner, but when he had her envisioning herself in the field blowing the the flowers, like mm-hmm. that would be like um, in EMDR, like in a trauma protocol, it would be like the safe, calm place. So that's good. We want to see you have something to go into when you're also being exposed, but like where he's like making her go from rock to rock, like that's so fucked up. You would never do that. You would never force that. We always say like, Never go too far, too fast. Like, if there was a consensual kind of exposure thing, you'd be, like, asking for permission. Okay, would it be okay if we took one more step? Okay, notice how that's feeling. Not, like, my feet are burning. Okay, keep doing it. Like, it's psychotic. So that is terrible. Also, there's a thing called titration and pendulation. So pendulation would be, like, going from that scary stimulus, exposing yourself to that thing, back to your safe place. So you practice switching from, ah, to like, oh, I'm safe. Titration is is talking about the intensity, kind of like starting at the top and going slowly, slowly, slowly deeper. So you wouldn't like eat the whole elephant, you'd take a little bite. So if you had a, a, like someone who was afraid of touching the ground, you wouldn't just be like, we're gonna go out in the middle of the woods and put you in a field. We would maybe start by, you know, having you sit on a chair where your feet are not touching the ground and see what happens if you put one foot on the ground and then allow yourself to to pull your foot up. Another thing that he did that was like super unethical was like basically commenting on her trauma responses and telling her it wasn't okay. Like I think he said, oh yeah, he said running is not good. So he was like criticizing the way that her body was like basically just experiencing a vagal response. So she was going into like a fight flight response because of trauma and he's telling her don't do that. That is the opposite of what we want to do for trauma therapy. I, I mean is is this, you know, sort of one thing that stood out to me was when she said my feet are burning. Yes. And and he says and he looks at her feet and there he, are blisters on he her. He gaslights the fuck out of her constantly through the whole movie. She's always like I think this is happening. He's like no no no, do be reasonable. Hysterical woman, calm calm calm. Yeah, it's just weird. It's like why why do you think he would do that? Because he wants to feel in control. He feels so powerless and so lost and blessed. Like, I think we can give him the benefit of the doubt. He loves the fuck out of this woman and, like, wants to see her well. Unfortunately, his his hubris makes him think that he's the only one that can do it. And he doesn't, you know, try to reach out for help. You know, mm. that's I also see that as a commentary on the sort of, like harsh individualism, that rugged individualism that that we have here in the U.S. and that sort of toxic masculinity. Like, I think, you know, maybe the director was just in the slings of divorce and hating women. I think it also could could be a commentary on, hey, look what happens when someone, like, takes that, that like, fierce individualism too far. They don't, they don't reach out for help or reach out for support structures because that's what leads to healing. Like we heal in connection, especially like relational wounds. We heal relationally. So you wouldn't take you out to isolate you further. That's like Walden, Walden Pond. I just learned that his mom's house was like right next door to Walden Pond. So he'd go home in the afternoon for snacks. That's funny. Otherwise you're like, I didn't know that. Yeah. So he like, that wasn't like rugged individualism. He had his fucking mom next door, like giving him snacks. Who did it was young. He went out into the woods, but he lost his fucking mind. You know, so I think about young too when I think of of um, Willem's character sort of taking them out into the wilderness. Like, I, like, as a positive, like, I'll get us to nature. That will help heal. But then there's an insidiousness. The nature is itself pleasurable and evil because of the way that that's that set up. Well, and it's also, you know, the nature is where she went to sort of escape from him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think that that's sort of an interesting layer to this of, oh, you know, if she, she went away to this cabin to be kind of by herself, which is a fun thing for her, yeah. maybe not for him because he's not in control and he's not with her. And if nature is good and positive and not evil, might it be warning her that there's a fucking antichrist in tow by burning her feet? You know, maybe it's mm. not that like, 
you know, she's evil. There's like something trying to warn her that this thing that is like trying to help her is actually malicious and because of his own hubris is going to lead to both of their downfalls. Yeah, yeah, because he's he he's now seeing, oh, nature is doing all this stuff to you when in fact nature is just trying to warn you it's sort of like i mean i've, I've been through a lot of therapy in my life and, you know and, <laughs> cheers <laughs> cheers to that and and uh, you know, one thing that that my therapists have, have frequently told me is you know the 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 parts of you that are are you know that that i don't know tell you negative things or whatever mm. they're all just trying to help you you know yes. they're trying to they're all just trying to help you they're trying to that's internal family systems therapy, by the way, for anyone listening. IFS. This is when you hear anyone talk about parts language. That's what those therapists were using okay. with you, which is one of my favorite models, and it's so good for trauma. Because it helps you reframe things. 100%. And, and what's interesting is thinking about, you know, because nature is sort of framed in this movie as as bad. You know, he, he goes to you know, hide underneath the tree stump and that, that, you know, dead crow or whatever it is, you know, sort of gives up his position. Yeah, you know? it's like witchy, it's evil, it's, it's feminine, it's yes, bad. Yes, you know, or, or like, you know, you have the, the fox that, you know, is eating its own entrails. Yes. It says chaos reigns and all that stuff. <laughs> you know, but but when we, I, I, I guess when, when I think of it in this new context mm-hmm. and I think about, you know, wow, maybe maybe nature is just trying to help her out and is trying to, um, you know, help them out, really, you know, and, and try to say, like, like get out of here, you know, mm-hmm. or or go get help or... Get away from each other. Get away this from each other. Isn't, yeah. yeah, you know, that, that uh, that's, that's just really interesting, you know, and, and that then he would demonize nature... Oh yeah. As much as he does, mm-hmm. and and you know of course because he's anxiously attached too. Do you know what I mean? Like I feel like his his style of attachment is very much like he is like watching her every move. He doesn't feel like I can trust me and I can trust you. He is like super enmeshed with her and her attachment style. I would say would be like a little bit disorganized or specialized for danger or chaos. So I don't love the like personality disorder language, but commonly would call it borderline personality. So I'm not diagnosing her because I think that's stupid when people try and do that in films. But I think she does demonstrate that attachment tendency to have one part that says, like, come close to me and another part that says, like, get the fuck away from me. That's why when he's, like, hiding in the foxhole and she's, like, trying to shovel him, she's, like, sobbing, why would you leave me? But she's also trying to kill him at the same time. It's that That's why the, the word borderline came into be. It's a line where it's, like, get the fuck away from me, don't leave. Please be close to me, but oh, that's too close. Get away. Because they had one caretaker that, that did, did eat. Usually one caretaker was like too much overwhelming and mesh and another one was neglectful, abandoned, or just pieced out altogether. So they specialized for having both. So I think you see her flipping where he's just in this anxious state constantly trying to like figure her out, pursue, move toward her, fix where she is just like does both. She moves toward, but then also just runs away and disappears into the woods. Yeah, yeah. He's trying to uh, fix her. I think is 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 you know mm-hmm. a, a great term is is that he he's really trying to just fix her constantly, and and what he's lacking is the ability to see the the, the greater picture of, yeah. of of what she's going through. Um, that's really interesting. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the. Obviously, you know, there's the big ending, you know, of, of the the uh, jerking off with the blood, and then mm. you have... There's some uh, erotic asphyxiation in there, some female genital mutilation casually tossed in. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess as, 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 as a, a specialist in, in sex therapy, you know, obviously, like, that whole final... You know, yes, there's sex throughout this whole movie, but... That final sequence gets darker. It gets really dark, <laughs> yeah. and there's there's a lot in there, um, you know, and it culminates in her in her cutting off her own clitoris. Yeah. Um, Which you... I haven't seen for the record. I've seen the movie a few times. I have I've closed my eyes. I've got to admit it. Every time I have not actually seen that. I've seen all the other stuff. I watched her drill through his leg. I did pretty good, but I technically haven't seen it. And I still like when I it's horrible. Imagine it. Yeah. Uh, you know, just a little. Oh, but that's really that awful. sort of like goes back to that idea of like if we vilify pleasure, if pleasure is the evil, pleasure is what kept me from leaping and stopping my child from mm. falling out the window. And he's clearly like 
reinforcing that idea because he won't let me have sex with him. Well, then I'll just like take the pleasureful thing away and then I can because she wants to continue get stimulation though after she still wants like a physical like intense experience but she wants to have it in almost like a punishing way but like not a healthy like hey I'm a submissive and this is a healthy sexual expression way but in a like almost like a flagellating kind of Mm. way I think yeah I mean well it seems like like with that reading that she wants to stay with him you know she's trying to maintain a relationship with this man despite everything that's happened and despite how <laughs> that a hilarious thought just came to my mind which is people are always like the the like instagram therapists are always like we make boundaries so that we can stay in relationship with people not disconnect and she was basically just trying to intensify the boundaries <laughs> you're not giving me space so i'm gonna drill uh, into your leg and put a weight on it forcibly so that you can't follow me while I run into the woods because I need to do some witchy shit and you're getting in my way. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> wait, wait, um, yes, and, and that's strong of her. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's, it, that's what's interesting to me about, about this is that it doesn't ever appear to me, at least, like she's trying to run away from him or that she's trying to leave the relationship. It, mm-hmm. it, 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 if, if, anything it feels like she's trying to um strengthen the relationship she's begging him to stay while she's literally chopping with that shovel like why would you leave me she's reacting to thinking that he was gonna flee or pursue or run away which one of the most common dynamics that we see like in relationships in my office is the pursue withdraw relationship dynamic so i also had a hard time not seeing that that dynamic like playing out so that sort of sounds like the more that one person feels overwhelmed the more that they shut down withdraw move away which makes the other person with the anxious attachment get really unsure which makes them move towards pursue ask questions kind of poke and prod which makes the withdrawer, the person that has more of the avoidant attachment style, get even farther away, which makes the other person like, oh my god, where the fuck are you? Where are you? So imagine that shovel moment. Where are you? Where are you? Oh my gosh, are you there for me? Are you accessible, responsive, and engaged? It's a fucked up way that she was getting yes to those questions, but she was. He's, he's in pain, writhing. Like, she can see that he's there. Yeah, I mean, she's getting what she wants. You yeah, know, which is often what happens in couples when uh-huh. they've, like, escalated. Because I work with couples that have often, like, gotten to this really escalated point of conflict where it just looks like a dumpster fire. I mean, we're just fighting constantly, and that's usually the sort of setup that's gotten us into that place. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, I... I, I it, it's, it's, it's just wild to me to think about the, the idea of... Because I, I know that people see this movie and they sort of read into it the idea of her as, of her as the villain, you know, and they read in, you know, into it as him as the villain, mm-hmm. and I think that it's clear that neither of those are true. Yeah, we're know? looking for the bad guy in the wrong place. Yeah, it's like it's not about it's not and and, and even when we say something like Nick is the Antichrist, yeah, he, like he's not even the bad guy. Yeah, we that, just scapegoated him for the for the ease of conversation. Right. Yeah, you know that that really what what what. The, the 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 bad guy here is that there's something rotten at the core of their relationship and that they obviously haven't pursued really understanding what that is. Um, so you're saying something's rotten in the state of Denmark? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's like the flowers I was noticing in the hospital scene in the very beginning, those they're like purple hyacinth or something, which I think symbolize pride, if I'm remembering my nerdy flower knowledge. But okay. it, it zooms in on the stems, and they haven't been cut. They're all rotten, so you can already see that like it's like a vanitas symbol. You see the beauty of the flower, and there's decay underneath, which is... Especially at holiday time, what I see clients constantly like, can't believe you would fucking post on social media. Like, there's nothing wrong. Like, everything is fine. It's like, on the outside looks all beautiful and flowery, and then there's something rotten in it. But I see it because I'm a therapist. No one else sees it. 100%. Yeah, I, I noticed that shot, too, of of him. You know, first of all, he's, he's pushing in past toys, you uh-huh. know, the child's toys and things like that. And then we go into actually seeing seeing those flower stems and yeah you're right it's yeah they haven't been cut right and and it, it just feels like what he's saying is uh there's there's something inherently wrong here and we're we're, we're starting at this place yeah we're not absorbing the water our f- petals look beautiful still and they might for a few days but 
there's no water coming up through those stems, and so we're going to rot away pretty quickly unless we figure out how to, like, trim them or, you know, resort that. Yeah, or it's sort of like, you know, the idea of, of, of their hot sex that they were having and and how, you know, maybe that on the surface is really, really great, but there was something rotten underneath it. And mm-hmm. and and so so that was beautiful and awesome and great. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it was really, like a false flag. It was a false flag, which is so common. A lot of folks think that like like oh, if we're having sex this many times a week and it looks this way, that that just means we're in a healthy place. And it's like that's that's not actually a good radar, yeah. a good way to pressure test the health of the relationship necessarily. Some of the unhealthiest relationships will be having sex a ton, but it's like that sealed off sex where there's. There's not actually attunement or, like, closeness or, like, real, like, pleasure. There's a focus on, like, looking hot and, you know, getting off a bunch of times and having sex super frequently. But it's not actually, like, massively mutually pleasurable. Yeah, I mean, you have to actually be paying attention to the other person. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. And that, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's that synchrony sex thing. So that's the balance of, like, sexual ruthlessness, which is healthy. It sounds kind of mean, but that's just, like, your ability to tune into yourself and at the same time tune into the the other partner or partners that you're having sex with. Huh. Okay. So sex is good, but pay attention to the person that you're having sex with. Yes. Like, (laughs) I think that, that she could have totally done both in that moment that could have been a dialectic experience <laughs> have the sex have the pleasure stop kiddo from dying and then shift gears and go back into yeah. having the sex that you were wanting to have see there you go that's all you had to do charlotte gainsborough um, <laughs> um i'm uh yeah so so one one moment in this movie that really every time i watch it and i've seen this movie probably more times than I should. Um, That's diagnostic, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> um, is uh, is is when he comes blood. Yeah. And it makes sense as a man that that might be a moment that would stick in your mind. It's a whole yeah. It's a it's a whole thing, you know. And and I I guess I'm curious a little bit about like when like your take on when this happens in the movie, you know, and why that's important for us to see that. So I don't necessarily know that it was important that we see that. I'm not a big gore porn person myself. I think that he probably could have like hinted at that in a variety of other ways. I get probably the choice to do it. I feel like especially blood being like a symbol, like on on par almost with vitality, like, you know, like in terms of like, like fluids that can come forth from us. So I think it's interesting that especially with the religious overtones that it's not just like semen. It's like a blood fluid coming forth from him. I also think that it's interesting that he's like not like fully conscious when that's happening. So I think that like that is sort of like differentiating. She's like basic. I mean, she's not basically, she's raping him. Like at that point, she's like doing something non-consensually and pulling forth something from him. So I think like, that goes to, like, a symbolic level of, like, a pulling, like, a life force from you, or there's some sort of blood thing that, that hit my mind when I was watching that scene, in addition to just being like, well, physiologically, it is very likely that she could have, like, hurt him, and there could have been blood, because she was just, like, viciously grabbing him in the way that she was. It wasn't, like, a nice, pleasurable hand job. It was a very violent act, so it just, just... In terms of, like, what could happen physiologically, we could also just see blood outside of it being, like, a symbolic sure. thing. Oh, bless. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's obviously a a switch to the power dynamic. Like, now she's totally in charge. I mean, she's had, you know, she she does that to him. She attaches the weight to his leg. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now she's the one that, that is, is fully in charge of this relationship. Um and I guess that that makes me think then that that sort of that's what this whole movie has been about the whole time is he's been the one forcibly in charge of the, of yeah, the relationship with the power with the power and then she is able to switch that around. Yeah. But look um, what she has to do to switch that. She has to phys- she has to carve a hole through his leg, attach a physical weighted object to be able to stop him because like she can't overpower him physically she can't intellectually overpower him anything she tries to say he gaslights her well and that's the only way too that she can ultimately in her way take care of herself which it's it's you know obviously she she thinks that she needs to get rid of her pleasure center Mm -hmm. to survive and to move on um and the only way that 
she's going to be able to accomplish this is by, you know, uh, debilitating him. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, as you just said that, that made me think of that sort of IFS model or that parts language again, because just, you know, severing your physiological pleasure center, which actually we, we know now that you can kind of not undo, but with surgery, we can pull and expose more of the clitoris. So she, she could potentially have a surgery and like get some sensation back. Uh, I again, I haven't seen it. So I, yeah. I, I, uh, I don't know. It's, it's pretty gone. It's pretty gone. Yeah. Um, that's pretty gone. <laughs> pretty gone. Well, and she's dead at the end of the movie. So yeah, fair. But hold on. <laughs> I lost my train of thought while I was going into that image again. Talking about IFS and you were talking about. Oh yeah. About... So that the part of her, like the pleasure experiencing part of her still exists even though she has like removed her like clitoris so that would just cause a like internal really uncomfortable dysregulating experience because pleasureful part would be like all right i'm wanting to be human experience pleasure in the world and i oh you have seriously compromised that so there'd be a really internal struggle that could come along you know with that so i've like i've tried to make this choice to like you know make myself you know less of a pleasure sinful creature and the consequences of that now are that I have I still have that like wish or longing but they can't embody it so it would just be like torture yeah so it's not not, not, so not recommended not highly recommended I think (laughs) there's probably a lot of other you could talk to your therapist about you know your fear that pleasure or your impulse control somehow got in the way of you leaping to action to protect your child, that might be one thing you could do instead. See? See? There you go. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a positive way to go about it. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, yeah, this movie to me has just always really been fascinating, and I, I, I actually at another point would love to talk to you about his other film, Melancholia. Oh, um, yeah. Which, which uh, again, you know, he, he I, I just feel like he really delves into some interesting uh, psychological stuff in, in, in his films. Um, but, but yeah, the, the end of this film, I, I'm really curious of your, your take on about how, you know, here, here we have Willem Dafoe, he, he murders her, he chokes her. It's a very personal, you know, moment. Um, and, and then as he sort of staggers back towards society, he's surrounded by hundreds of women. Mm-hmm. And that's when it clicks to black and white again mm-hmm. at that point too just yeah. sort of like leaving that Ed- leaving eden sort of experience there goes the vibrancy there goes the pleasure there goes all of those things yeah it's it's well yes it's leaving eden and it's it also makes us think of the opening scene yeah you know and and it's like because that's the same it has classical music again mm-hmm. too yeah and i guess i'm curious about just your take on you know what do you think the ending means like what do you you know, what does it mean that he's the one walking away from this? Well, so my answer would have been different if you hadn't have shared with me the director's kind of personal narrative about his divorce and things. It's really hard for me now to, like, think about the ending, especially, like, walking away or moving through or, like, like leaving behind what you defined as the problem or a problematic relationship. Like, now I can, I see that more as, like, him working through, like, endings, release, letting go, moving through. When I watched it originally, I was thinking more, like, just symbolically in terms of, like, like Adam literally, like, leaving, you know, like, leaving Eden and having, you know, just, like, different lens or different view or something. Well, I mean, that's interesting, too. You know, you reference, like, Adam, you know, we, we have these, these very uh, concrete... Uh, sort of ideas of Adam and Eve, and obviously we talked about Eden. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and and I, I guess I hadn't really thought of it that way, but I guess it's it's interesting that here we have these kind of cultural touchstones that we are all aware of and that we all uh, subscribe to, and, and here we have two nameless, a man and a woman, you know, mm. and you're right, it's Adam and Eve, um, and yet again, Eve, the woman, is the bad one. Mm-hmm. She's the one that, you know, at, at least on the surface, at the end of this whole thing, she, you know, she's the one that put the shoes on the wrong feet. Yeah. She's the one that that wanted to come out here in the first place. You know, mm-hmm. she's the one that 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 
that that you know hurt his dick and mm. and you know put the weight it through. And, oh, and, and, I don't want to interrupt you, but that please. just made me think like if 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 she's the problem, then he fixed the problem, which sounds a lot like. And this would be content warning for anyone that has a suicidal ideation part, but oftentimes, like, suicidal parts decide, I can fix the problem, no more pain, I'll just end it completely. So in a way, he did, like, his problem-solving part would say, problem fixed. Mm. She is no longer hysterical, she is no longer suffering, she's gone, she can't suffer Mm. anymore. So, in a sense, if he was defining her as the problem, which he obviously was from the very beginning... He fixed the problem, and so again, it kind of thinks about that like rugged individualism or that trope of I alone can solve. Yeah, yeah you solved the problem, but at what cost? You threw the baby out with the bathwater. Literally. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> um, Pun not intended. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, that's that's really interesting to to you know and and uh, just. To, to be blunt about it, yeah, I mean, therapy, that's the thing that, that I've talked about, too, about, you know, in, in terms of suicidal ideation and, and and uh, oh, this is a, a part of you that wants to solve a problem, but it's yeah. going to solve it in this very extreme way. So mm-hmm. thank you, but no thank you, you yeah, know, idea. Helping it see what would really help, which wouldn't be that. They usually want connection. That part, he wanted to connect with his wife, but the problem-solving part got in the way. <sighs> The problem-solving part got in the way, yeah. And Which happens in therapy all the time. I'm constantly having to tell one partner or many partners, like, your partner just needs you to be with them. They need the witness. They need you to, in the present, be with them emotionally to undo these moments in the past where they felt alone. Because being alone in isolation, that's trauma. It's interesting, you know, that you say that. When I think about, about Willem Dafoe and Charlie Gainsborough in this movie... And you think about how she went alone to this cabin. She wrote her, you know, thesis and and obviously delved into some crazy witchy stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I shouldn't say crazy. Uh, some occult Some things. occult stuff, yeah. Um, and really what she needed from him, instead of him trying to fix her, is she needed him to be with her. And, and somehow it, 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 based on this reading, it feels like he was just completely unable to just be with her. But and it's also her too, because it's a dynamic. Like she couldn't be honest with him. That's where like the, the betrayal is. Like if she really did like not save baby from dying, mm-hmm. we're going with the hypothesis, there's betrayal in that. So he doesn't actually know the full truth, but if she was to tell the full truth, she would risk potentially losing the relationship or, like, experiencing his wrath, right? So, like, he couldn't respond to her emotionally in the way that she was needing. He couldn't help her with that shame. He couldn't transform the shame into guilt because he might have been like, oh, fuck you, you know, who knows? He might not, he wouldn't have supported her vulnerability in coming forward and saying, oh, hey, by the way, Nick being dead, that might be (laughs) a big part to do with me. Well, and that's part of the problem with him trying to treat her as her husband is because he's got all these emotions swirling around in there, too. Obviously, they need a third party that's going to be able to come in and say and and allow her the option to say, I think I might be partially responsible. And then they work through that together. Yeah. Well, the fox was there. He. (laughs) He told he was giving lots of his chaos <laughs> The fox was there. Uh, the the fucking, deer was oh, there. The deer. Oh my god. The crow god. was there. Yeah. yeah the, the hawk. The, the three beggars. We got all, we got all of the the yeah. animal all the animal symbols. Oh, yeah. Oh, the really... hawk pulling off the baby's wing. Oh, oh man. I know, I know. Ooh. It's very, uh, yeah, it's very visceral. Very sad. very sad. But you know, nature, uh, nature destroys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess is what we're meant to. Uh, take away from that. Um, yeah, that there's a dialectic in like the the two sides of that coin. Nature like creates and destroys in both the same thing. And and chaos reigns. Chaos uh, you reigns. Know. <laughs> chaos <laughs> reigns. I mean, nature does whatever the fuck it wants. Full circle to chaos reigns. Yeah. Really, the moral <laughs> of the story. Reigns. That's the story we need for pandemic times. Really. Oh, oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> truly. Um, yeah, Morgan. This is really fascinating. Um, yeah, I think that uh, you know this is obviously a movie that that. There's a lot to unpack, and I think a lot of people, uh, when they watch this movie, they walk away going, "Oh, it's the movie where the lady cuts her own clit off," you know. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's that's valid. Um, but it's fact. Uh, it's a fact. Uh, but I do appreciate very much the perspective of 
of someone who's like, you know, used to dealing with couples and relationships and that it's not just about, it's not just about the sex. It's not just about the trauma. It's not just about, um, not just about anything. It's, it's about all of these things at once. Um, which is sort of the, the sense that I'm taking away from it. And if he really is misogynistic and that was like the kind of unconscious driver, well, then we just flip that on its head very properly. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and it's inside into him and, and, and it's, uh, uh, you know, I think all all knowledge is is useful. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, uh, thank you. This was really super fascinating and really interesting. And uh, do you have any other thoughts about this movie or or horror movies in general or anything that you want to say before we end? Oh, I just wanted to thank you for inviting me. This is such a blast. The one thing I will say, as a huge horror fan, is I keep seeing these therapists being like, you know what, you shouldn't watch horror movies. It puts images in your mind. Bullshit. I would just like to clarify. You can tell people that a licensed therapist told you it is okay to watch horror movies. You can process and transform what you see in them and still be a healthy individual. So fuck all the Instagram therapists that are like, oh, you really shouldn't put that dark imagery on your mind. You're just watching it to try to feel more in control. Yes, I'm trying to watch it to feel more in control. I'm a human. I like to do that. Like, fuck off. Let me watch these films I love the most. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, yes, thank you, and I agree wholeheartedly. Um, and uh, Morgan, where can people find you on social media? At Connect with Morgan Johnson. Okay, that's where you should go connect with Morgan Johnson. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you again, uh, everybody. Go watch horror movies. Uh, it, it, it'll help your mental health. Um, <laughs> yes, 100%. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, yeah, Morgan, thank you again. And yeah, as always, you can find me at Graham Skipper on Twitter. And I hope that you come back next time for Night School. Thank you all so much. Uh, Morgan, thank you. And everybody stay spooky. See you later. Bye. And thank you as always to Michael Tioli for our theme music. You can find him at michaeltioli.com.